readers, writers, listeners, welcome. This is the Page Turners Podcast. I am your host, Miranda, an avid reader, a published author, and a longtime listener of podcasts. This is the Page Turners Podcast, Season 2, Episode 5. Well, November is all about giving thanks, and it's a time to show gratitude as we close out one year and enter into the new one. So before we dive into this week's episode, I want to say thank you. Thank you for listening, for engaging, for living a life that's focused on literacy. And of course, thank you for being a Page Turners listener. <laughs> now to say thank you, we are having a local double feature week. So what does that mean? Well, we are launching two episodes today. So for part one, we're chatting with a Rapid City mother who found her passion for reading and storytelling alongside her sons. So please welcome season two, episode five guest, Jan McGraw. Well, we will go ahead and just dive right into things. So to kick off this episode, Jan, will you just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and why you have a passion for literacy? Certainly. My name is Jan, and I am a home educator. I've been a home educator over a dozen years, and I'm a reluctant home educator. Um, I was a nine-to-five mom, and then, bam, I started homeschooling. And it was there that I started to realize the importance of books and literacy. Um, It was my desire to have my book, uh, my boys, my sons, to love to write. And my understanding was in order for them to write well, they have to read and um, read the great books of the authors of Dickens and Lewis and Tolkien and uh, Bennett and Elliot and on and on. So... I'm here in Rapid City, and I had looked and looked for many different uh, reading language arts curriculum. I didn't find what I wanted, so decided to create my own book list and then um, a writing journal that I call Tell Me a Story Again. Um, And yeah, that's basically how it all began. (laughs) It's funny how we kind of find ourselves in in these paths in life. You know, you may have no idea where you're going to end up. And somehow, some some way we end up where we do. Um, so tell me a little bit more about, tell me your story again. Let's dive into that a little bit. I'd love to talk more about kind of what that looks like. Yeah. So tell me a story again is a creation that I took out of the babes of my own children. I, my son was about four or five years old and um, I would ask him, just to tell me a story. And he was actually looking out a window on the sofa. He was a toddler and he would just see cars going by, birds, deer, whatever. And I would just jot down everything that he wrote down. And it was from that moment that he realized his words mattered so much so that they were penned in a journal on a blank piece of paper. And now his words were recorded. And so ever since that point, I would just simply ask him, why don't you tell me what you see in the mirror? Or um, what do you think we should cook today? And all these little journal entries became his book. And he then wanted to write for himself once he knew how to hold a pen or pencil. Um, And so all the writing prompts that I had come up with is really just this dialogue that I had with my own sons. So... Um, they're meaningful now because 
all the books that you see behind me, some of them are actual journals of my boys so that they've written down from anything that they read about the Panama Canal, what they thought about Laura Ingalls Wilder, or anything like the current events that we have today. So they're not just writing curriculum, they're meaningful because they're almost like, as a journal usually is, almost like a diary. How incredible is that to think that within your home library, you have these books that are, are authored by you and authored by your children, even though they may be, tell me what you see outside, or they may be, you know, about what they just learned. That's incredible to be able to have that and to be able to hold on to that because story is so important, as you know. With kind of diving into becoming a home educator and, and learning, you know, this the importance of literacy, what was your background with literacy growing up? Was that something important to you or did it really strike you the importance of that just having to kind of pick it up for your sons? So the love of reading or anything to do with literature as uh, I was going to a public school and so everything that I was exposed to was from a textbook. So we didn't have a home library when I grew up and so anything that I was exposed to from a book was pretty dry as sawdust. So I did not like to read. And even though there was a library that was within walking distance, I, I did not want to go through any of that. So um, the thought of becoming a home educator and thinking that I was going to read books was a bit, um, I don't know, there was a big chasm there. So um, <laughs> I became a reluctant home educator, like I mentioned, and it was out of necessity that I started to realize I have to love to read as well. And so in order for that to happen, I just had to live it. So I started borrowing books, books that I felt were compelling. And so I have an example here. Uh, you know, this book right here is called the Lewis and Clark Expedition. This is a series of books, uh, uh, produced by Landmark, and they're the old Landmark books, by the way, they're not the new ones. So this is meaningful to my boys because we are obviously in Lewis and Clark territory. And interesting fact is that they uh, journaled. So everything they brought back and presented to uh, Thomas Jefferson, who was president at the time, it was journaled. They had leaves, they had the animals and flora and fauna all recorded. And so these landmark books I've had read to my boys and even to this day, they're teens now, they'll reach and open them up and just to read. And it's really because these are living books as I call living books because they tell it from a first person and it's not like five different authors that typically make up a textbook. There's five different authors and their voices are all different. But when it's a landmark book, and this is what I started out with when they were very young, um, it's one author, it's told in a first person voice. So often what happens after you finish reading the book, the child, my children always ask, did that really happen? <laughs> yes, it, it really happened. <laughs> um, this happened, their expedition took two, three years and you know, uh, when we go to um, anywhere in South Dakota and beyond, you know, sometimes we'll see these historical points that say, this is where Lewis and Clark, this is a marker that um, this is a place where they stopped and journaled. 
it's meaningful now. History becomes living. And this is what I mean about a living book because it's often told by a first person in a nonfiction sense. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, fictional books, we can go into you know, the whole gamut. Um, at a very young age, they were, I read to them, that's the thing, that's the key, is in, in gendering literacy, you've got to read aloud to your kids. They, they can comprehend far more than they can read. So my mm -hmm. kids were probably in second grade and I was reading the Narnia series. And you know it's a good book when they keep saying, read one more chapter. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> saying, Can we, you know, go and play outside? So the books you see behind me have been, as I mentioned, I homeschooled for a dozen, 12 years, 13 years. They're a collection over time. And not, not of, none of them are brand spanking new. Most of them are gifts, thrift stores, library sales. And once you start curating your own books and place them all around your house like jelly beans, you'd be surprised what happens to your own children. They will pick up the book as long as there's nothing competing like, you know, video games or media or just the noise. If there's a quiet, still place that they can have a nook to read, it doesn't have to be fancy, you know just a place that's quiet and not distracting, no devices. I think they, you've hit a home run. You've created an atmosphere for reading. Um, we were reading about C.S. Lewis this morning, Jack and Warren, the two boys, their mom died at 10. They were, uh, they were 10 years old, uh, C.S. Lewis was, and his mom died of cancer. He was sent to boarding school, came back, miserable time. But the point was that his father, who was kind of emotionally detached after the loss of his wife. There was books everywhere, attic, the bathroom, you name it, the kitchen. And this, the boys had nowhere to go, but to turn to the books. And so <laughs> that's how they amuse themselves. And I think that's how you engender literacy because you're not just telling junior say, here's a book, read it. You're living it. And um, you have to present it even if, if you as a parent or a reluctant reader, like I was when I was younger, when you take, you co-op that experience of reading and showing them, hey, this is, this is fun, it's 10, 15 minutes a day, you can't believe how, what the bond that happens that comes sitting on that sofa, um, your child is on your lap, maybe they're playing with little Legos, uh, they're moving and wiggling, they don't have to be sitting like statues, but they're, they're listening and, mm -hmm. and you'll be surprised what they tell back. And what I say, tell me a story. They'll tell back what, hey, did that really happen? Um, did Lucy really go into the wardrobe? Now that's a fictional story, Lying Witch in the Wardrobe, but um, that's a dialogue. And mm -hmm. as they're telling back, that's how people become better writers because it's knowing how to sequence your thoughts and your words but you don't know how to do that until you have been fed the brilliant words that preceded us, you know, mm -hmm. sorry, long answer. <laughs> oh no, that's, there's nothing wrong with long answers. We love it. Um, you know, you're talking about kind of creating this, this space for your children, but it was also creating a space for you to kind of fall in love with literacy. You mentioned that growing up, that was not something that you enjoyed. 
So what has that been like kind of this journey alongside your sons, alongside your children of finding this importance and this love for reading and for literacy? What's that been like for you? Well, it's redeeming because um, if, if you have had, I've had a generic public school education, so <clears throat> I did well and I did well enough to get the grade to get on to the next stage. But to say that I love to learn, love history, um, listen to any, um, uh, to say that I had a poet that I liked, all of that seemed pretty foreign to me. So out of necessity, because I was tasked with homeschooling, I, I you know, you love your children, you're going to give them the best you can. So out of necessity, I sought to learn what it would take. And I want to say that if you don't know it all, you don't need to know it all. If you need to have it together, all together, you don't. Your children will love you for the time that you choose to spend with them face to face, not getting mm -hmm. them off something online. When you spend time together with them, with a book, um, you would see a miraculous dynamic change in your household because that's what love is it's time and time spent with a book um especially if you have nothing else to talk about you're kind of like drumming up ideas like oh what's an icebreaker you don't need to do that with your kids um a book brings a common bond together and a common language that you all will start to formulate and uh, speak to one another about um the midsummer's night's dream was a uh written by Shakespeare and you know I did not have any clue of what Shakespeare wrote none of that I mean mm -hmm. and we read it yes we read it because it's a language to be heard didn't always understand it all um, we decided to uh, borrow a picture book and we together figured it out we got the humor and it's now become a part of our uh, vernacular in the sense we don't speak Shakespearean. Mm -hmm. It's just that we understand some uh, jokes that we pulled from that experience. So when you ask the question, what was it like for me? It was like fish out of water because I just didn't have any concept about any books and where to start. But in the world realm of home education, if you ask um, and you, you know, the internet is a plethora of information, not a plethora of wisdom, but if you ask some seasoned, wise home educators out there, they will point you in the right direction, I, I believe, especially uh, if you're trying to improve your literacy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really great that you, you had that with your sons, you know, you've talked a lot about kind of that bonding aspect and books being sort of that attainable way to start a conversation to talk about topics. And I, I think that's why access to books is just so deeply important. You talked a lot about being able to create that and to find your passion too. But I've talked with people that 
they they can't or they don't know how to. And that's why access is a big piece of my initiative. But I'd be curious to get your perspective. You know, not everybody has a home library like you do with thousands of books or even like I do with hundreds of books. Or maybe they don't have that space within their home to kind of have that getaway to really focus on getting into the pages of a book. How do we accommodate those people? How do we make sure that they also find that passion if it's maybe not as easily accessible or readily accessible for them? Well, first of all, I'm going to encourage you because Alexander Hamilton, who grew up in the West Indies, single mom, uh, dad walked out on them, uh, only had 37 or 39 books. So he did not have a home library and he became uh, author of the Federalist Papers, who became the first secretary of treasury uh, for the founding of our nation. So how did he come become from pauper to a man of history to become one of our founding fathers who did not have access to books readily? And when he had those 37 plus books, they were precious to him. Um, but first and foremost, it's not about quantity. Um, I use my library a lot. I would talk to my library. I got to know my librarian very well when I uh, started this process. And I would tell, ask the librarian, please, if you find this book, please let me know, interlibrary loans. I've used also online uh, archives um, access, which is public access. Uh, the Gutenberg Project, for example, is also another way to access. I know sometimes we don't want to be cozying up in front of a screen. And if it's bringing us together, um, you know, in the Civil War, they had to sit through all of their husbands and sons at war, wives were sitting, knitting, and they read by lamplight, okay? Uh, when we talk about Laurel Ingalls Wilder, they didn't have, have a library at all. So whenever they had that general store visit, it was a publication that they bought. It was, it was a treat, but they read it again and again. So I don't think it's quantity. It's just the uh, just, um, saying to yourself, okay, I'm going to go to the library. I'm going to ask them if they have a ABC book. Um, you may ask, what, how did I even come up with the book list, right? Um, how did I pick the books? Um, I found this wonderful book called Honey for a Child's Heart, and it has a beautiful book list. And I had my kids highlight the books that they wanted to borrow from the library because each list, listed book, has a summary to tell you, and it's uh, broken down by ages. And I would bring it to the librarian and ask, okay, do you have ABC? They may not have it, so we would borrow and wait. And that's how we did it. And um, you'd be surprised what, with what you can pretty much read any book if you want for free, okay? Because Google PDFs are out there. They have digitized so many books. Um, and I know that that is a, that it has been going on for since 2007, 2008 is my guess. So there's a plethora of books online and if you don't want to be looking at that, it's what I said earlier. I love to go to the local used bookstore. There's one here in Rapid City. And I, I'm kind of, I just look and see. And I'll find a gem or two. Sometimes I'll go to the Salvation Army or thrift store. 
And because the book is only a quarter or or a dollar, I'm not going to sweat it, you know? Mm -hmm. So you'd be surprised if you have this, um, I don't know if it's a habit. It's just this mentality of let's look for a book. Um, And Christmas, birthdays, every year, my kids get a book. Because now I've instilled to them the value of books. Instead of saying, here's another Nerf gun or here's another uh, Lego. I am saying books are our friends. They're valuable and they're, they're to be treasured. So my boys in their rooms, they have their own shelf of books that they, they know if someone pries something out of there. <laughs> um, but, you know, like I've said, Miranda, it wasn't something that, I didn't grow up with a reading culture uh, for myself Mm -hmm. and it was just one day at a time, one week at a time. And if we only had three books, I mean, there was a time we only had one or two, three books in the house. That's Mm -hmm. okay. Um, You, you adore the books. Uh, I will say, especially for picture books. um, One of my favorite books, but I, I've been trying to decide if I was going to, loan it out or not I don't loan out my books very often but this Beatrix Potter her illustrations are her illustrations right so naturalist she was a very lonely child very uh, kind of neglected to be honest and so she spent a lot of time observing and so she uh my kids when we only had a few books would just study the pictures this is the beauty of children's picture books. And there's a plethora of that at the Rapid City Library. If you go upstairs, so many picture books. And, um, and they're not uh, artificial. They're, I mean, the illustrations that I, I have loved, apart from Potter, um, is, are the books that uh, E.B. White, when he wrote Charlotte's Web or um, Stuart Little, those illustrations, Garth Williams, he was the same illustrator for the Laura Ingalls Wilder books. And my boys just love looking at the illustrations. And that is all we had at the time. We just had the Little House in the Series books. There were like five or seven of them. That's all we had. And the rest we were borrowing, uh, you know, um, Hardy Boys or um, they, most of the books that they borrowed were um, Blueberries for Sal. I, I forget what his uh, the author's name but those illustrations that they love those books. And so if all you have is a library card, you're set because you have no idea what the power of that library card can do because this is a public agency. They are to say to you, we don't have the book. We are gonna network out. We're gonna get it from Mitchell. We're gonna get it from bookings. And if you say, hey, you know what? You don't have it. How about you buy this book? I'll tell you why. Um, I've done that online many times. Nine times out of the 10, the library will say yes, especially if it's, um, most recently I borrowed this book called The Big Cheese. That expression, The Big Cheese, where did it originate from? I was curious and my kids were curious and we were slicing a cheese, a piece of Buddha. I said, let's find out if there's such a book called The Big Cheese. As it was, we went to Amazon. There is, I don't want to buy the book. I use my library. And I co- contacted Rapid City Library. They said, we don't have the book, but um, Mitchell has it. Uh, uh, please give us a couple of weeks. We'll get it for you. We borrowed it. We had three weeks to enjoy it. And I returned it. And it was great. 
So I think if all you had was a library card, use your library. Be, be very uh, industrious or um, uh, attentive to the books that you want to read. And if the library doesn't have it, they have a link on their um, site to say, have a book that you would like in our library, please recommend one. And they're very receptive to that. And if they don't have it, I, I guarantee you, at least for me, I've been very fortunate. I will ask them, can you please find an interlibrary loan for it for me? And I've, I've used WorldCat. WorldCat is a, again, a website. You can search a book and the book will come up and say, it may not even be in South Dakota, but it will be in Minnesota or in Colorado or some nearby state. And they'll, they'll give it to you in concentric uh, distances. And the library will say, your library, our library will say, no, we don't have it. Um, and then, uh, then you can ask them because as a patron, as a library card holder, you have that prerogative to ask them. And they, they typically will say yes. And if not, then um, move on, find another book. <laughs> you know, I mean, if there's it, so many out there. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, you're fine. I love, you know, and I love bringing up the idea of the library card too, because a, a lot of people, you know, don't realize what library cards provide them access to. Um, and it, it is, it's, it's books. It's not just the books that are in your library, but it's, it's access to so many things, even yeah. for people who, you know, they need a printer, they need a computer, or they need an address to send mail to, you know, the public library is so deeply important and it is really incredible. The things that you can find, you know, sometimes I think people think like, oh, what's my library going to have? But as you said, you know, there's so much out there. And if your library can't necessarily, or if they don't have it, they can get it or they can get something similar. And I, I think that's the really incredible power of books is there is sort of this access to anything and everything, whether it's the big cheese or it's, you know, a tough concept that you want to have a conversation about. Books are just that really great accessible thing that, that everybody has access to, even if maybe they don't realize that. And then I wanted to chat about that too. You know, you, you didn't have that love for reading. You know, you built up this library for you and your boys. I grew up with teenage parents in low-income housing. We were on Medicaid for a time. And so, you know, we had books, but we didn't have a huge library either. And sharing those stories and making sure that people hear that, again, like you said, it's not quantity, but it is making sure that you find those books in some way even if it's just one that you read over and over you use your library you go to the thrift store and buy them for 25 cents you know as long as you can find access and there are so many ways to find access you just have to be willing to do it really yes absolutely absolutely yeah um i i think that um yeah i i was talking to megan Cox. Um, she authored a book called The Enchanted Hour, and she had said that the impetus, the reason that we have lost this love for reading uh, it has to do with the, the media. It's, it's just kind of everywhere. You go to a restaurant or you can go to the supermarket and it's there. And in our home life, it doesn't have to be there. We can choose to turn it off. So when we don't have a competing activity, 
that is causing us to not pick up the book because there are so many reasons to not pick up the book. But if we turn down the volume and we come down, bring the activity level to a slow, still place, um, I think that's where books can enter into our lives. So it is difficult when you have, we're in this modern tech society where me, um, the computer age is a necessity. It's part of our daily life. It's like a microwave. Mm-hmm. However, in order to engender this love of reading and uh, imparting that part of that reading life, you do need to turn things off. And it is, they, they go in tandem. If you turn down the media in your home, you'd be surprised to see how your reading culture starts to I used to have a TV, by the way. We still have a TV, I should say. Um, <laughs> but it's not live. It's not connected. And I think we stopped having one when my older son was one. But that was the hardest thing to do, I'll be honest with you. I love my cooking shows and History Channel and all this great. And there's some great programming out there. It's informative. But when you have this uh, flicker right in front of you, it, it demands your attention. If, even if you put your phone upside down, and you, you heard it vibrate, your inclination is to pick it up and see who's trying to reach you. But if everything was quiet and still, and we just, and I'm not asking you to just, you know, live life without electricity. I'm saying you parceled out some time, 20 minutes, 15 minutes. Uh, you'd be surprised how incredible, it's not only great for your mind, it's also so connecting. Again, back to that time thing where you're spending intentional time, eye to eye, you're looking at the book, you're looking at your son or daughter, and together, shoulder to shoulder, you're embarking on this reading life together. It's not something you just say, here's a book, go read it, you know? Um, You know, I remember when my sons were very young, um, I never handed them a book because they didn't know how to read. (laughs) So I had to do this with them together. Of course. You might have reading age kids, but they may not be accustomed to reading um, as a as a as an activity. You know, it may be a great book for that moment, and maybe they don't pick up a book for another six months. But if you embark on this and and admit and say, you know, this reading thing, let's just try it. I don't know. Let's just try it, and be honest. You'd be surprised. You know how often your son or your daughter may say, "Hey, when are we going to do this again?" I know this because I've, I've met families uh, that I've suggested this to before they try and they've done it and tried it and it actually worked. So it really is a game changer when you turn down that dial, when you move away that media, bring it down, minimize it, lower it down and replace it with a reading culture, reading as an activity you can't, you don't even have to read to each other. If, if all you had decided was uh, dad is reading the newspaper, mom's reading a magazine, the son is reading a comic strip. If that's how you start, great. But you had 15 or 20 minutes of just quiet, no blaring, flickering media talking at you. 
And that's tangible, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And, and it's a great idea. You know, I love that I've gotten to have conversations with so many people that are on, you know, their own unique reading journeys, their literacy advocates in their own way, because there is a way to approach it for everybody. And I think, like I said, that's a really tangible way to kind of think about it of let's give this a try. Let's take this, you know, what seems like a short amount of time and just give it a go and see how it goes. And that will hopefully inspire that want to continue to do that, that want to continue to pick up the book. But you have talked about all of these characters, the entire conversation we've had today, all of these characters that you continue to bring up, whether those are actual authors or illustrators or the stories that you've read. So with all of these characters, with you finding your passion for reading alongside your sons, do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite book among your collection? Well, I, you know, sadly, I, I it's, he's dead. It's Charles Dickens, um, David Copperfield. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons, other than 18th century authors uh, or um, 1800s authors tend to be very wordy, it is a beautiful book because even though it's 700 plus pages long, it's a coming of age book. You know, so if you have <clears throat> children that are 12, 13, or just coming into their puberty, it's a wonderful book. And to encourage you, <clears throat> if you don't want to read it, I don't blame you. Try Audible, try, <clears throat> you know, recorded books. Mm -hmm. um, library has that as well. Many libraries have it. And once again, there are online resources that you can just listen to the book. So you, if you don't want to read, the words are too big, just turn on that, um, uh, those types of online resources that you can borrow or uh, use for free. Um, I love Dickens's uh, method of writing. You know, we know Christmas Carol, um, mm -hmm. we do every year. Um, but uh, yeah, Charles Dickens is uh, David Copperfield. I feel like I know the character, Davy, as he sometimes called, or um, uh, and I feel like I understand Mr. Dickens's mindset. When you, you talked about picking up a book again and again, that's what happens. If it's a good book, you don't have to have thousands of books or hundreds of book, books. If you have a good author and you follow that author and you want to pick, it up, pick up that book at 10 years old, at 20 years old, at 30 years old and onward, that is a good book. That's how you know. That is the litmus test. Um, so yeah, David Copperfield. I love that. And I love that you bring up again, that accessibility that even if maybe Charles Dickens isn't for you or feels like he's not for you, you know, any of those great authors, even authors today, maybe if it feels a little overwhelming, you know, it's accessible in some way. So I think that's incredible. Jan, I am so sorry that we only have about four and a half minutes left. Is there anything else that you'd like to add anything that we can get in really quickly? <laughs> think that if you just don't know where to start I on my website www.tellmeastoryagain.weebly.com um, I do have book lists I do have uh, recommendations and also um, I will highly encourage you if you have any questions um, I I want everyone like you Miranda to have a love for reading I do not feel that you've been robbed if you have never picked up a book. Now, today is the best time. We're coming into some cold weather. What a wonderful way to enjoy that 
indoor life uh, if you don't like to be in the cold. Absolutely. It, oh, I love that. It doesn't matter where you're at in life, your age, anything, you still have the opportunity to pick up a book. Thank you so much for joining us for the Page Turners podcast. Please make sure that you keep an eye out for next week's episode. And until then, leave a review, share with a friend, and check us out on social media at, at Miss America SD to keep up with all things literacy and falling in love with reading. We'll catch you next time.